welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today, the last day of 2021, thank God, for our gala MCU Year in Review podcast. I have my tuxedo on. I can see through the internet that Matt has his. In a year, Matt, where we had nine entries into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the advent of Marvel Studios TV on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you had your four live action shows. You had uh, What If, which uh, now counts if you haven't seen uh, the Doctor Strange trailer. Um, and I think we'll continue to count with some other things coming. And, uh, you know, considering that the most we had ever gotten out of a uh, MCU movie year had been three films, one to get four films. And obviously, as a result of the pandemic and pushing back, there were none in 2020. But on top of that, to get these four live action shows, which, you know, what's the magic number? 300 minutes, right? Yep. Okay. So you want to take that and consider that two shows each. All right. We really got four, eight. We we got 12 movies this year. Um, And what a year it's been indeed, Pete, this our 100th overall podcast. Uh, that's, you know, the Marvel stuff, some DC stuff uh some star trek stuff as well of course um but also as you have been saying what a year it's been for the mcu uh particularly a year where i look over this list and it's just particularly in the tv end just you know impact impacted by covid um with the case of wandavision which i guess is a natural starting point as it released uh on january 15th of 2021 um they had and this still boggles my mind, having watched the series all the way through. Uh, you know, I was watching it at least twice a week when the new episodes were coming out, and I since have watched it, watched it all the way through at least once again. The notion that all the inside stuff, all the stuff in the sets, all the stuff in the house, um, that that was all done in Atlanta pre-COVID than they were in the process. They had already paused production to head back to LA and then didn't touch it again until the summer um, due to COVID lockdowns and so forth. It's just astonishing. Then WandaVision goes on to all these Emmy nominations. Didn't maybe get all the wins that we would have hoped uh, up against some, some very able and stiff competition. Maybe there's also still a bit of a Marvel bias. Um, Maybe Mayor of East Town is just a better show. I don't know. Uh, but the I think the journey that WandaVision took us on was mm -hmm. this early indicator. This is what Marvel Studios TV can do. Uh, yes, WandaVision was always towards the beginning. Falcon was going to be first and then and then not. And I think it was just this moment where you go, oh, this is... You could never do a movie like this, but they're telling something that's movie-like, but also obviously leaning into the television space. And that's just the thing. I mean, this will always have that spot as having launched Marvel Studios on TV. And, you know, 
listen, we're enormous believers in Marvel TV. We're the only podcast that's done every single show that's born that moniker. Uh, you know, we even watched the pilot of uh, Hellstrom and podcast that, uh, even though they got the title yanked away from them. But the, the, the title idea, Marvel's Hellstrom, they, they got the Marvel part taken away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think WandaVision completely innovative. I, I think of that third episode, Matt, or the third or the, no, it was a fourth episode where they did the, uh, the blip and have Monica return from that. Something we've since revisited now in, in Hawkeye. Um, you know, just tremendous characters, tremendous world building, uh, the, the development. I mean, think of the ride we went on that with Agatha and, uh, you know, constantly looking for Mephisto in every episode. I mean, listen, it was Mephisto all along throughout 2021 as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, just innovative and, uh, somehow they they managed to continue to put the pedal to the metal throughout the year they did and i think by the time you got to the end of that nine episode run of wandavision it was looking and feeling like a more traditional marvel movie uh which i think was that was always stated to us as a goal. And then I think along the way, we kind of fell in love with the conceit of the show. So you do reach the end. And I think, you know, very, very solid finale, uh, particularly, uh, you know, as, as the Westview illusion slowly shrinks away and whatnot. But we end up with a big battle in the sky and, you know, kind of <laughs> laser beams of sort shot at each other and, and all of that stuff. Um, so again, whether you want to say, well, that's the, that's the comforting place that most of these movies return to, or whether you want to say, Ooh, they had an opportunity to do something different. I think there's arguments on both sides. Um, you have that finale on March 5th and then the fairly quick turnaround to Falcon and the winter soldier. I think frankly, Pete, a a faster turnaround than we would have expected, um, prior to its announcement to go from March 5th, March 5th, the end of WandaVision to March 19th the beginning of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which for its six-episode run, first of all, slightly longer episodes than WandaVision. Um, Also, just more of that traditional, like, hey, this does feel like your standard Marvel movie, but it's in the the TV show format. Um, And that, too, had some surprises, probably top surprise being, uh, you know, the dance, Pete. Need I say more? (laughs) I mean bringing Zemo back and then that we go to Madripoor, that we go to this storied location in the Marvel universe for the first time in, in live action and, and the intersection of that Venn diagram gives us uh, Daniel Brühl in maybe the most meme worthy to this point performance uh, in uh marvel studios tv yeah was was a special thing the idea of the power broker and and now that sharon carter's taken this turn the dora milaje showing up in that series 
you know, the, the secret sauce there of the uh, John Walker storyline put up against Sam's struggle to get the, the shield back um, and everything with that, you know, the, the global repatri- repatriation council and uh, what they were trying to uh, bring the world to and uh, to reconsider these things. I mean, super, super well-written and uh, no surprise that that will continue in the films. I think too, both WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, obviously they are built to be sequels to, to those characters' stories. Obviously too, they're meant uh, to be this entry point for new characters um, and kind of this new statement. I mean, there's been the crisscross and all that in the movies, but I think there's also been somewhat like the, the silotization, uh, silotizing, anyhow, silos, just in terms of, you know, when you get done with Captain America Civil War, you know that the next movie you're going to see is not going to give you more about Tony Stark um, versus these shows, again, from the outset of WandaVision, but obviously with the biggest reveal, the biggest secret surprise uh, for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Again, kind of secret, kind of rumored, kind of at least how about this secret confirmed in terms of Julia Louis Dreyfus playing Val and kind of this real early notion that she's putting together a team of sorts. It's not it's not a full statement of that. Um, I, I will also to Pete, I'll never forget kind of this interplay of that's where we first met her, but we were supposed to recognize her from Black Widow that we saw the previous summer, but of course we <laughs> didn't. Like there's this neat. There's this neat thing, and you know I've said it before, where the, I think the secret of the MCU is they have a plan, but they want to hit certain guideposts, and then they're flexible within those. So the fact that the fact that her her mysterious intro for the first time works here, mm-hmm. and her mysterious intro for the first time works in Black Widow, it regardless, it's saying hey, there's something going on in the background here, and it's not so major that. She's a star of the movie or a star of the show, but something's going on. So watch this space for further development. I mean, 2021 was the year of Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, the the two scenes that she pops up in in the post credits and then even uh, showing up in, uh, you know, some more of the narrative in Falcon and the winter soldier. And, you know, when will we see her next and what exactly is she doing, uh, with us agent and would, would seem to be as well with, um, with Yelena, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, really, really hooking you as far as that story is concerned. And, and you thought they couldn't approach WandaVision, silly to go at it from the the same approach and here to do it with the intrigue rather than the the magical mysteries the stuff out of left field that we might not have been able to consider with WandaVision uh and Carly Morgenthau's story too okay that we take Carl Morgenthau from the comics that we obviously update it um and really compelling here and you know full credit to 
to Aaron Kellyman, who's since been cast in the Willow um, reboot spinoff for Disney Plus. That makes me look forward to that even more. Um, just tremendously done, a, a complete, satisfying arc for that character, and and something that I think will echo throughout the MCU. I think too one of the greatest strengths of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a series was its kind of frank, no sci-fi, no comic book, you know, magic sizzle kind of thing. It's just its honest discussion about race and race in America. Um, yes, we had some things in WandaVision uh, looking at the female perspective, and you know, I think. It also talked about grief and grief being more of a, a universal thing. Um, but the fact, I think, that Falcon and the Winter Soldier didn't say, you know, well, on the moon, for the moon people, there used to be discrimination. And it kind of, you know, we didn't need sci-fi to say, what does it mean for there to be an African-American Captain America? And we're just going to have that discussion in real time on the show for what it is and not kind of say you know well you know it's for example pete to look ahead to loki we had moments in loki talking about sexual orientation and gender identity it was there but it also just as soon as you were like oh wow there that representation is great and then now we're moving on to a fight scene um so and i don't mean to use that as a slam against loki but i think as we wrap up our focus on falcon the winter soldier they had the discussion. They had this, the discussion up front in the show, without needing to use metaphor. And I think that's a real, real strength of it. And I think the thing that this universe does so well is something for everybody. And you know, you might not be the biggest fan of one of the particular entries. You you follow the the storyline, but. You know, the amount of representation throughout is really reflective. And I don't think that we can discount how important that is. So Falcon and the Winter Soldier wraps up uh, in April and then a little bit of a longer wait here. I think particularly as Disney Plus was kind of coming to the realization projects either have finished or are finishing from the post-lockdown portion. But ooh, we need to figure out schedule-wise what to do with things not being, you know, the, the next set being quite ready. Um, we then fast-forward to June, where Loki has uh, its six-episode run that also was the inauguration of what seems to be a fairly permanent move for the top-tier stuff being released on Wednesdays, uh, which, again, I look back and I say this is genius because everybody's used to the Friday movie drop and then Netflix was doing the Friday, every episode drop. Um, and a lot of people are congregating around the Friday. So it can be like this weekend I'm watching, you know, uh, I'm, I'm watching Tiger King and Dickinson and MCU and star. And at a certain point, I think Disney just said, whether it was to get, a, get away from the black widow, Friday release date, Thursday, Friday release date or whatever. Hey, what if we just own Wednesdays? So we get Loki there, which I think, gave us more fun and twists and turns and kind of mind-bending where are we, when are we, how are we um, stuff there. So again, very much differentiating itself from the magical but homebound world of WandaVision and the kind of more 
um, military and, frankly, real-world uh, place of Falcon and the Winter Soldier to get I don't know, to, to get magic and technology and everything that was otherworldly of Loki made it a wonderful journey, let alone what we get from representation about gender and orientation uh, is, I think, a, an appreciated expansion of, uh, of representation as well. I think to to place it inside what we already know to have happened. So WandaVision is an extension, as is Falcon and the Winter Soldier, of the timeline. But to start inside Avengers Endgame and then, you know, through the conceit of the show with the TVA to be operating throughout time really smart uh, and, and to let that timeline extend a little bit past what they had done. Then the idea of variance and the, the cracking open of the timeline and the multiverse as it is now, which we've obviously seen continued uh, reverberations for the rest of this calendar year and, and into next year. And then maybe the character I'm the most excited about in uh, the MCU right now uh, with Sylvie. I think just a tremendous, tremendous addition. Um, can't get enough of the character. Can't wait to see where she's going to pop up next. And I think, again, that's another example of the show. The show may have been designed at certain points, you know, close the door in the meeting room. This is actually a launching pad for a whole bunch of stuff for the future because, you know, uh, what if Hiddleston asks for more money for the next contract? Or what if it, finally the character just starts to, you know, people start to get bored with it? You know, whatever is next um, is placed there. And, and frankly, it's um, the first instance of the MCU this year um loki is of kind of preparing for the next loki of sorts kind of preparing for that character to be female again they have not taken away retired killed off uh tom hiddleston loki if anything you know as we know by the time we get to the end of the series the fact that it officially is announced for season two uh makes it unique from all these shows but loki the series was the start of a trend to say we are definitely and permanently creating a new character, which is a female um, representation of the main character or a female version or you know something like that. And of course, I'm looking ahead to some of our Hawkeye discussion in a bit. Um, and frankly, some of our Black Widow discussion, which is up next, Loki having um, uh, spent its last couple episodes uh, coming out around and after the July 9th release of Black Widow. With um, Loki as a show, the first one that gets an upfront second season that they, they tell you more is coming at the end of it, that they give you that stinger that we've brought in uh, He Who Remains slash Kang slash whatever else we're going to refer to him and a character that had already been cast for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, um, I think really smart as well. And what every single one of these shows did was 
you know, not just have the sizzle, but, but meet it. And, you know, that we were continually tuning in, uh, whether it was Friday or now Wednesday, which I still think at some point they, they may wind up changing a, a day again as, as, you know, current as the MCU can be. I mean, Matt, that the Hawkeye episode with Kingpin happens the day before the Spider-Man uh, No Way Home premiere for audiences and that you went from one to the next like we did, like I suspect a lot of people did. Um, you know, it's got to be irresistible at some point when they're near one another again, as we know this is going to happen with a lot of projects that maybe they move a day again. I think that's, that certainly is their prerogative. They had better do it fast before all of a sudden it's like, you know, Pete, if, if the thing that's going to save maybe Peacock as a, as a big time streamer, if that next show is going to hit in 2022 and somebody at Peacock says Peacock Tuesdays, that'll be great. Um, and all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, Pete, I don't have Peacock, but have you heard about the latest episode of, you know, of, uh, whatever lawyer guy? I heard it was one of the best dramas ever. They're comparing it to, uh, you know, King Lear and how do I get my hands on this? And Peacock Tuesdays, that's just the thing, you know, all, all it takes is the one show to plant your flag. Um, at least for the, sh- for the short term for, for, you know, for a year or two. So other streamers may avoid Wednesdays. Um, they're also, you know, there could be the possibility I'm thinking of not just the original Mandalorian, you know, Mandalorian season one release, but, uh, Pete, was it bad batch where they did a Wednesday and a Friday or something like that? Where I think they did May the 4th. Yes, yes, yes. And then they gave you one, uh, I think it was a Tuesday to a, to a Friday. Um, so yeah, they have that prerogative but again as as scheduled and as precise as this universe is and listen star wars did it first star wars did it first with the the vast universe like this and they had done it with mandalorian and then into uh the rise of skywalker um but that that's even a thing that's on the table in terms of the interconnectedness the synergy throughout this universe and and there matt too you know you bring sony into the equation and and they they still were able to do that um it's just it's stunning it is and and maybe we'll circle back to to sony and spider-man in a little bit um but just certainly the notion uh, i'll start with this as a jumping off point which will also take us back to black widow sony without a streamer and they've just They've stuck with that decision that they're not going to invest billions of dollars to have a streaming service. Um, so, okay, that is a choice. Um, we'll see which streamers die away and were bad bets. Um, there are probably ones with less box office and, frankly, corporate oomph than Sony. But th- that decision has been made, and certainly that's helped us on the Spider-Man end. Uh, speaking of streaming, Pete, that Black Widow release... Yes, it's box office. When you look at box office mojo or the official box office number and things like that, not a great box office number for Black Widow. Also, you know, pandemic numbers at the time were on the rise and so forth, but it also was released 
simultaneously on Disney Plus with Premier Access. Now, I know all those Disney bookkeepers will tell you how great it did. Um, of course, the way in which all of that was handled led to the lawsuit from Scarlett Johansson and all of that uh, in, a, in, 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 a, in a Hollywood where, meanwhile, Warner Brothers just paid everybody a lot of money this year to not sue and to basically not complain unless you're at Denny Villeneuve and then you get to complain a little bit. Um, but just congrats, everybody had a hit movie. Here's more money. Um, Disney did not want to do that, paid the price. Um, but that's the corporate intrigue behind the scenes stuff. Black Widow as a movie, solid entry, welcome return to the MCU. I wonder Pete, if in some magical world where COVID never existed, might the movie have slightly underperformed because it's not ultra connected and it's not setting up the next thing. It's not setting up the character that Nick Fury was dusted, but then called Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel has a side prequel origin story, but she's going to come save the day in the next one. Blackwood is more self-contained and it frankly gets to earn the asterisk of, all right, it's lower box office, but premier access and COVID and we can enjoy it for, or for what it was. Well, what it was was a return to the MCU in, in film form for the first time since Spider-Man Far From Home. And, you know, two years without a, a Marvel film on the calendar uh, because of the delay with the pandemic. Um, I think it's unique in that, all right, we, we said it uh, after uh captain america civil war um it does take a while to get going i said on our podcast at the time though once you hit that dinner scene it's a freight train straight through and with hawkeye now and more of florence Pugh's yelena belova i think has become even more watchable and we forget matt that even with day and date theaters and, you know, we were just coming up against Delta, but things had, had kind of opened up. And then we had the Disney Plus premiere, uh, which you and I both took full advantage of, um, that it was at one point the highest grossing film of the year. And you consider that they made nearly the same amount in both platforms. Uh, I think impressive. I, I think, still think that that is the future of film. You know, we've podcast uh, many of the movies that have hit HBO Max this year. You know, we did The Suicide Squad. We just did The Matrix Resurrections that's free for everyone on our Patreon page. Uh, we did Dune as well. And I, I think they've really figured that out and i i think that will continue to be a thing going forward i know that warner brothers has already announced i don't think for every movie but they have already announced for some movies including the batman um 45 day theatrical right. window and for the, for the batman on the 46th day it will be on hbo max so the the discussion i had with my wife was hey on march 4th do you want to like we watched the latest trailer of the bat and the cat i continue to be unimpressed by these by, by the movie by the trailers and so forth okay fine i'm not the end all be all so i watched the trailer with my wife i said do you want to go see that friday march 4th and she's like not really i'm like 
Uh, you want to go see that April 26th <laughs> on the couch? Yeah. For, for for what we already pay for HBO Max? She's like, yeah, sure. So are they going to, out of our house, are they going to get 20 or $30, two or three tickets, me, my wife, my daughter, some combination there to go see it on the 5th? Nope. But probably in March, that might be reason enough. I know it won't hit till April, but that might be reason enough to be like, Eh, I really haven't watched HBO Max much, but we're going to be getting the Batman before too long. Maybe I'm going to find some old-timey movie. I'll just keep the, just keep the $15. They're going to get the $30 anyway. It is what it is, but Pete, bringing things back here, we see, we podcast the movie uh, July 9th. Uh, the next week is the Loki finale. And then Disney+, Plus, the MCU, both enter this interesting period. Yes, we're going to talk about What If in a moment. And yes, that was super strong. Um, but all live action stuff that we were podcasting then by and large dried up at that point, which was which was interesting. Um, we had simultaneous um, animated Marvel and Star Trek going on at the same time as well. And we can save the Star Trek discussion for another time. But I just what I want to highlight is this. Loki, uh, Loki episode 106 ends on July 14th. Uh, we then don't get more live action until, uh, at least live action on Disney Plus until uh, November twenty fourth. So, a bit of a at least in terms of new stuff, we'll talk about Shang Chi in a little bit as well. Um, but just an interesting, slight dry spell there, but one that was uh, bewitchingly interrupted by the animated What If, uh, starting on August eleventh, and the handoff of. Uh cracking open the multiverse and then the show that explores that um not in a one-for-one way like oh and loki just did this and now it's happening but through the watcher's lens and being able to incorporate different versions of characters throughout the multiverse not to use the the variant label or to involve the tva or anything like that clearly different productions but connected nonetheless and you know the thing too so black widow in july matt in the space of six months time four movie uh premieres (laughs) it's just ridiculous so looking squarely at Black Widow here, I think obviously the strengths of the characters or the, the characters are the greatest strength to the film. Um, I, I don't know that it I don't know that it has the magic the magic seasoning that some of the other movies do. Um, it it does continue to strike me even prior to watching uh, Hawkeye. Um, on rewatches of Black Widow. So again, whatever complaint I'm saying, I cleaned my plate, then I went back for seconds, and I went back for thirds. Um, but Black Widow really, 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 in retrospect, in my mind, um, to, to my surprise, and I wonder if maybe to the surprise of Scarlett Johansson, uh, Black Widow really is the origin movie for Florence Pugh's Yelena Belova and kind of, you know, Black Widow 2, if you will, um, Florence Pugh, uh, should have a mugshot taken because she stole the movie and, <laughs> you know, there, there's the secret sauce. It's not me, you know, like it's not the action sequence or the, this or the, that it's, oh my goodness, she's fantastic. I think she just out black widowed black widow. Yeah. 
I mean, long overdue that Scarlett Johansson got that feature uh, and then that it was delayed, um, that it had the success on both platforms to outpace any of the other films. I think it would have been even bigger had it just been. I mean, you consider what percentage of that $60 million spent at home would have been uh, done in a theater. We weren't ready yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think as as a feature, a super worthy entrance, and again, only gets more watchable with what's come since. I know we had also simultaneously kind of started the what if discussion um i will i will always look back at that first season and chuckle because a a constant discussion each week was like might they bring this back at some point might might we see captain carter might we the and at a certain point we go okay hey that was weird how uh I don't know, Vision Ultron something showed up at the end of the one episode. That was that was off tone in the Party Thor episode. And then you go, no, we're actually doing a pretty serious arc to wrap up the season. I still think Pete, for as much as I for as much as I would like to say, you should have stuck Hey, A.C. Bradley, head writer of What If, you should have stuck with the original plan of these really are just self-contained little dalliances, whether it's a whether it's a funny one or whether it's a more serious one. You should have stayed self-contained. Um, it's yet again a case with the MCU where the rearview mirror take is better because, as you have mentioned repeatedly, Pete, turns out that stuff that you saw from What If, look... There's Doctor Strange Supreme apparently showing up in the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So how many episodes of What If was that? Two, three, four, where that's kind of all connected to that arc? Um, all of a sudden, it's way more important than I think we thought back at the end of summer. And, you know, we knew it was going to loom large because of the last performance of Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa. And what a way we thought just the one episode and to get a couple out of him there was just so special. Uh, Matt, the Marvel zombies, uh, uh, number one that you had gifted me for the holidays is right here next to my microphone. Um, it's a little unusual. I did not expect the zombies to talk. <laughs> um, but obviously you've got to have uh, characters speak. It can't just be silent like, uh, you know, a, a, an animated, uh, you know, cartoon uh, presentation would be. But the idea that uh, we got uh, T'Challa as Star-Lord to do that and that they still managed to uh, reach for the character to include him there in the guardians of the multiverse to give us something special like that. Something I think will return to, we had that, uh, run number, uh, drop off, right. They gave us the nine, uh, because conceivably the 10th one is the second season premiere and, and a second straight show that, Hey, there's more coming. So, What If concludes on October 6th, and uh, in the interim, uh, on September 3rd, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings had come out in the unusual uh, Labor Day release, which, you know, there's all this Hollywood wisdom 
you don't release stuff in August, except for Suicide Squad did well and Guardians of the Galaxy, which was the number one movie of its year, came out in August. But but late August, no one wants to go to the movies. Uh, turned out that was a very solid time for this brand new character um, in a movie that is not highly connected. And again, to use Captain Marvel as a bit of a uh, of a template, if you weren't familiar with her, well... You know, again, in the delete in the secret scene, Nick Fury calls for a symbol. Uh, that's one of the next movies coming. And then you better watch this carefully because she's showing up in Endgame soon. So, you know, it, hashtag it's all connected. Shang-Chi did not have those things. I think greatly benefited, you know, in, in a very solid box office uh, outing and solid box office weekend and so forth. Um, it, it, it came out at the right time when people... Many people were willing to go back to the movies. I think if there was some closed door concern, hey, how is a how is an Asian superhero going to do? Mostly, you know, ninety nine percent Asian cast, so on and so forth. Um, the fact that it did four hundred thirty two million dollars worldwide um, is a bonus. And again, if you sit and go, had this come out in some magic um, COVID free existence what would the box office have been? And would we have looked at it and said, ooh, it did come up short. Is it because of this, because of that? Here's the good news, Pete. That's not really a discussion to have. You can't say, oh, the audience rejected an Asian superhero. You kind of can't have that discussion because up against the craziness of going to the movies this year, it did just fine. It did just fine for the two months that it was a theatrical exclusive, let alone then hits Disney Plus on Disney Plus Day, which interestingly led to a whole new round of mm-hmm. press for the movie and uh, Simu Liu, you know, doing interviews and this and that, the other. And um, if you're a theater owner, maybe you didn't love all that, but um, it was a great opportunity to return to Disney Plus. You have live action Marvel, albeit live action Marvel movie, and away we were at the races with that amazingly fun film. A second straight film entry that was at one point the highest grossing film of the year. Um, and it makes sense with Marvel. There's such enormous tent poles and the, the pedigree is there. But that they chose off the seeming success and then controversy of Black Widow, what happened with Scarlett Johansson. And thank goodness that's since been hammered out to go theatrical only and that we sat that one out because cases were you know shooting back up at the time in our immediate area uh knowing that it would come to disney plus when it would um but i go back to the words of uh, simu liu who said you know we're not an experiment and that they had that tremendous theatrical only success i i think one tends to beget the other that you put it in just theaters and obviously it's going to drive up because it's the only place that you could see that. And I, I think they push the right button there. Um, but then you mentioned that when everybody else who didn't feel, you know, uh, comfortable yet going back to the theater, checked it out when it hit in November and, you know, just the nothing but positive praise that that film has garnered and then you consider what they do in their post credits and you know the the mysteries that they've since dug into that have been picked up by uh 
at least one of the shows to follow it with Hawkeye and the the potential that you know Maya Lopez and Katie are going to come swooping into battle and a dragon at some point in Avengers you know pregame or whatever it's going to be <laughs> down the line uh yeah I I I loved the movie more than I expected I would well, Pete, that's an interesting transition to go from the the excellence of Shang-Chi and the excellence of all those Asian filmmakers to the next release for the MCU. I know we've slightly fast-forwarded to November 12th and Shang-Chi's um, uh, Disney Plus release, but to go back in the chronology here, Pete, it's our own time heist. Uh, November 5th saw the theatrical release of Eternals. Um in a box office scenario that I think at the time people said, well, cases are on the rise, so of course people aren't going to the movies. Um, Eternals, the only movie, the only Marvel movie to be given the rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, a movie that I don't think uh, has had a poor, uh, a poor audience reaction, not because of an Asian director, not because of a wonderfully represented cast. Uh, I think Pete, and we'll get into this in our own full-length Eternals podcast when it hits Disney Plus uh, in a handful of weeks, but I think because it's perhaps one of the weakest, if not the weakest, Marvel movie of them all. I mean, you can't argue with the visuals. The film looks stunning, and, you know, Chloe Zhao coming off best director this is a high water mark for the mcu i think they were kind of damned if they did damned if they didn't where, where can you go what what can she do she can only equal uh what she had just done not surpass it and all right you're gonna go into a different genre you've been given this opportunity obviously because of the success that you've had uh, and to really pop as best director. Um, it's a super unusual entry. Uh, the connectedness and, and just the premise alone. I remember watching those trailers and you and I were like, not feeling it. And the idea too, like that the film has to sell you, with uh the the other trailers that came out oh this is why they sat out thanos we did not do anything because of x um you know it, it was a little bit of a of a tough sell as a new entry i mean i will admit in preparing for this podcast with matt i slipped and called it in humans um Here's the thing. If you say, well, it has low box office because of the nature of film going. Yeah, except Shang-Chi before it and Spider-Man No Way Home after it. Okay. Right. Well, Eternals didn't do as well because it's brand new and not not legacy stuff. Yeah, except Shang-Chi before it. Well, Eternals didn't do well because maybe for some people in some corners, it was too much representation of, uh, you know, again, whether it's uh, Asian characters, characters of color, um, deaf character, uh, and so forth. You say, well, but Shang-Chi, 
and uh, Black Panther and Hawkeye. And so I, it'll be fascinating to get into a an intelligent discussion uh, in about three weeks' time um, about Eternals. I, I think, Pete, here's, here's my little sizzle preview of our Eternals podcast, uh, by the way, tentatively slotted in for... Uh, uh, the 16th, uh, the weekend of the 16th, uh, January 16th, it hits Disney plus on January 12th. Uh, I think, I think we will be able to, I think we're, we're going to be doing a forensic analysis of what went wrong while nonetheless praising the representation and so forth. But it doesn't all need to be the third Spider-Man movie to be a success. It doesn't need to be, you know, I, I think we're going to find many things wrong with it when we dig in deeper. I don't want to, I, I don't want to, spoil that preview too much but I, I think that's where the discussion is headed and i look forward to having that with you and our listeners so then a couple weeks after that three weeks after that was the premiere of hawkeye um it with the pete time time really is a construct maybe maybe the maybe the eternals have done it to me i don't know they're sitting out and they're not sitting out hawkeye was that two episodes on the same day or was that one on the one day and one on the next. I honestly you, can't remember. You did not dream it. They uh, dropped two the uh, first day. I remember vividly watching both of them back to back. And, you know, all right, I'm a, I'm a third of the way through this season, through this series. Um, all right, get get some more into me. I was thinking of this this morning as getting ready to dive back into uh, Cobra Kai, a show I didn't start until the first three seasons were already available. And then I, I went through it, uh, not in a, in a binge necessarily, but we've talked about this before. You know, you don't retain the binge stuff as much and, this pattern of viewing you know week to week with some exception here's here's two at once um tends to lend itself more to conversation to that water cooler that virtual water cooler that we and you know other uh you know spaces that talk about this want to be um we had always wondered like you know particularly with disney plus really needing to service no more than one well, let's say one desti- one top tier destination uh, a week pete i'll use a term that current and perhaps not uh, super ultra long term but current disney ceo bob chapak would be familiar with e ticket so one kind of e ticket attraction each week fine some weeks it's going to be a double you know two two hawkeyes or that sort of thing but you know, we, we don't mix our, our green beans and mashed potatoes here in terms of we know Book of Boba Fett must come out sometime around Christmas. That's what we were told at the end of Mandalorian Season 2. So kind of this discussion of did two Hawkeyes come out at the first week because <laughs> it's a little bit of a burnoff because you could have done it the week before and then fine it's going to end when it ends because Book of Boba Fett is going to be the Wednesday after Christmas which is still kind of Christmas okay i don't kind of quite get it um I, I do think having the two episodes together you go okay i see kind of the arc here but i mean pete not since the first season of agents of shield and um 
Captain America Winter Soldier where you go, oh my goodness, um, Kingpin is coming. Then you get Matt Murdock. Then you get more Kingpin and you go, this really does feel connected. And then you have, you know, we we had seen the tree in, um, in uh, Rockefeller Center in the show before, but to have Spider-Man swoop by it at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home and then... Which I guess again slightly places it earlier earlier in the chronology than the end of Hawkeye, unless they put the tree back up. Which both arguments can, you know, both arguments are fine. But just this notion of Spider-Man went by there either shortly before <laughs> or you know in the days before or in the days after Spider-Man, during. <laughs> yeah, like or during whatever it is, like to just have that level of connection, you go. Again, I may quibble, okay, could you have done the first episode of Hawkeye a, a, a week earlier? I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. Then you're bump, bumping up against other Disney Plus stuff, or Disney Disney Plus Day stuff and Shang-Chi, blah, blah, blah. Fine. It seemed like it was shoehorned in there, but instead it was just perfect timing. Perfect timing for a super fun show. I know we just did the, the, the finale podcast for that yesterday, but a show that was... I'll I'll just repeat it again. A very very fun time. Maybe not the highest highs. Certainly not the lowest lows. And a, you know, great adventure. Great five week adventure of six episodes. And that break of live action, you know, on the TV side, Loki uh, stopping in July and not until November. And we had speculated all over the place: would it be Ms. Marvel before Hawkeye? Um, the idea that much like Loki setting this within, uh, at least the start of, uh, Avengers and Avengers film, what with the battle of New York and then extending it out to where it is now in, in 2024, uh, in the narrative, but, you know, it was going to happen either way of, Hawkeye into Spider-Man No Way Home or if they kept the the Friday or went back to the Friday premiere with um with Hawkeye that you could go uh Thursday of a preview showing with Spider-Man and and get your uh Charlie Cox Daredevil and then into uh, Hawkeye with the return of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. I mean, yeah, there, there's an alternate universe, Matt, where it happened in reverse. <laughs> um, and what a viewing experience it was to see it on that preview night with, um, again, hopefully in the safest of environments. We were masked as we watched it and all that. Um, but to hear different segments of the audience cheering when there was the uh, Andrew Garfield reveal, when there was the uh, Tobey Maguire reveal, um, just to be, to have lived that movie with an audience um, was its own, its own experience. And I mean, Pete, I'm looking at the latest numbers now, Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, uh, I think Sony like picked this date and Marvel was like not happy about it. And, you know, cause of course there's a certain chronology to it all and blah, blah, blah. Whoever picked this date, whatever piece needed to be made uh, between Sony and Marvel and Disney and all of that, 
uh, Spider-Man No Way Home has made $470 million in this country, 644 internationally, to a total of over $1.1 billion. Um, that's with some viewing limitations in some countries. Um, and even, Pete, as recently as yesterday, or pardon me, as recently as two days ago, Wednesday, December 29th, it made $20 million that day alone in this country. Um, I mean, it's just, this is a movie that people are racing to, that people are re-seeing, and, you know, it's, it, again, we, we, let, let us hope and assume that everybody who's going to see it is doing so in, in a manner that is safe to their health. Um, and after after resolving that, I mean, this is a huge, huge runaway hit, and discussion continues to be if the Oscars are going to nominate not up to 10 movies, but they are nominating 10 movies, that's with the idea of opening things up a little bit, how is this not one of the best movies of the year in terms of it being an audience experience that people have loved and a reminder that there's a magic of going to the movies? I mean, to cap this year of years, Matt, with this film uh, and and the quote-unquote surprises that the average fan was likely not aware of uh to do it in such an explosive way given what's going on right now in terms of the public health crisis but yeah just uh this is a film to rally around this is a film that rightfully should earn one of those 10 best picture uh nominations shouldn't win uh, but for so many of these, the, the nomination is the prize. And much like a Black Panther before it, I think really establishes a bar uh, when it comes to this type of content. And remember that much of Hollywood still, you know, denigrates, uh, relegates comic book fare to a point, yet consistently they're the highest earners. Um you know, I'm not somebody that looks down the end of my nose as somebody who, uh, you know, screenwrites for me and, and hopefully for others in the future uh, that, oh, well, this is comic book stuff, because I think we'd all jump at that opportunity. There's a reason that Chloe Zhao goes from Nomadland to Eternals, and it's not just money. It's the eyes it's the expectations it's the toys you get to uh put out from the toy box and and move around um and spider-man is just the greatest example of that i mean matt i'm i'm over the moon with expectations for fantastic four i mean pretty soon we should be starting to hear about that cast and that it comes on the heels of this trilogy and that we've got Watts as the director there, I think, you know, nothing but confident. Well, all I know is this, Pete, to wrap up the discussion here on Spider-Man No Way Home, as we doubtless start to wrap up in general, I know the grand protector of cinema and the film experience Martin Scorsese has said that these Marvel movies are terrible. Uh, Pete, where, where, where did Martin Scorsese want me to go to see his last movie? Oh, right, <laughs> a streaming service for his miniseries that should have been put into miniseries form. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so yeah, I can only imagine that'll be the moment when it's like 
when when whomever walks out when they get Pete I don't even need to guess when they get Robert Downey Jr. to walk out at the Oscars to introduce the Spider-Man No Way Home clip I hope I hope ABC has the guts to then cut to Martin Scorsese as he fumes <laughs> in his seat um but you know that's that's the drama of of such things um Pete looking ahead to 2022 a quick glance here Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, Black Panther 2, uh, the offerings for the MCU film side, and then for TV shows, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, uh, and Ms. Marvel. I know Pete, oh, as well as the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I know, Pete, you've told me Secret Invasion will not come out in 2022. Some sources still do have it there. Uh, I have learned to not bet against Spoiler Pete. So <laughs> let's start on the movie side. We thought Doc. we thought uh, Ms. Marvel would be this year. I I think there's some heavy post production on that. I uh, I don't know that they're fully done either. Um, but you know, I think we can anticipate too, given how things are exploding right now in in terms of uh, spread that there could be additional delays. Let's not forget that Dr. Strange was originally slotted for February and that's since been slid to May. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing coming off uh, the, the pinup demand and success with Spider-Man to leave it a long tail. Uh, It'll surely be on video before that. And, you know, people will continue to join all the, uh, the offerings that have come before, um, you know, Thor is one I have circled in a big way, given we've seen nothing so far, a couple of production stills. I think that's ready to pop. Um, I'm kind of wary that we're still going to get black Panther next year. I don't know that that's going to happen given the, the couple of trouble spots, obviously, you know, dealing with, the untimely death of, of Chadwick Boseman and having to, you know, reorganize that film. I mean, my brain just goes back to Ryan Coogler talking about, you know, somebody he regarded as a, as a brother, as a sibling, um, and having written words now that he knows he'll never say, and, and having to redo that, I mean, that's enough. And then, you know, the difficulty they've had with Letitia Wright, you know, this this injury and then the the dogged rumors of uh, vaccine resistance um, or hesitance, shall we say. Uh, so I don't know how much of this film slate will actually happen. And then you look on the TV side we still don't know what comes next. So we're kind of back to where we were uh, after Loki. You know, will it be Ms. Marvel? Will it be um, Will it be uh, Hawkeye? And we got the one we thought would come after. Um, I think it'll be She-Hulk next. Um, I've, I've heard from some places Moon Knight, February or maybe March. But I think they might surprise us with that but i i just everything i've seen secret invasion will be you know the the furthest out if in 
22. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And then, you know, Armor Wars looms out there too, Matt. Something you obviously announced and we haven't heard about in a long time. And, and that was announced before a lot of those others. So I wouldn't rule that one out. Maybe even leapfrogging uh, one of the one of the others. Well, it's been quite a year for the MCU, and certainly the year ahead brings, you know, three sequels on the movie end, and you know, three brand new characters mm. on the uh, on the TV end, which might not have been. It wasn't always the plan for it to be like that, but I do kind of like the balance that. We like the sequels. We like the familiar, like the character growth. Also, these characters need to come from somewhere. And I'd rather, frankly, I'd rather spend six episodes with Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight than have him show up as like, oh man, I got transported to the land of Thor. And now I'm here to be an Avenger in two years. Like, it's, it's all shaping up the way, the way I think it should anyway. Um, and I suppose here's to an exciting year ahead. Yeah, super looking forward to it. I mean, we've had a boffo 2021. Let's uh, let's hope that we are as lucky and as fortunate in 22. And of course, Pete, the entire year of 2021, we uh, have given our thanks and continue to give our thanks to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, making it possible for us to flip from Moon Knight to Thor and She-Hulk <laughs> and Black Panther and uh, and Ms. Marvel and so forth. You made this year possible, patrons. Uh, so get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door. There are already 76 individual items that you can check out there can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review on any of our 25 to this point podcast feeds you got your the book of boba fett you've got your hawkeye you've obviously got the marvel movie podcast show us some love pete how can people discuss the entirety of the marvel cinematic universe with you on twitter you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,275 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, as we approach the weekend, we have Book of Boba Fett and Star Trek to look forward to. Uh, on the MCU end, Pete, no dates for Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, um, certainly dates for Doctor Strange, so on the Marvel Movie Podcast feed, that, I, that may be around the next time we talk. Maybe there's a weird Disney press day occurring in the next 10 days. Uh, it's a mystery, but certainly is an exciting road ahead. With that, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. See you next year.